0: From the Denver Convention Center in the Mile High City. It's Tips, today in Public Safety. Brought to you by Nina, the 911 Association, and APN, the Avaya Podcast Network. Now, here's your host, ENP Mark Fletcher.
1: Hey, it's Fletch with the Avaya Podcast Network, and welcome to Tips, Today in Public Safety. We're here live at the NINA 2015 at the Denver Convention Center, sitting down with Matt Grozier, who's the Emergency Communications Center Manager in Kent County, Michigan, up there in Grand Rapids. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. So you guys had a little, a uh, couple little incidents going on up there recently regarding swatting.
2: Yeah, we have. Uh, and a headache they were um and it's a it's a difficult situation both for the 911 center uh it's also difficult for law enforcement entities uh to really you know successfully investigate uh these crimes and uh luckily we were able to uh successfully solve two uh, relatively major incidents.
1: Well, see, that's a big thing um, that's going to help stop everything is people are starting to get caught. I mean, I've been looking at this for several years, and if you know what you're doing and you have the technical ability, um, you can pull off a fairly complex SWAT that's going to be difficult to to determine. It is a hoax. That's right. Um, But most of the ones that are coming in, they're just... They're kids playing around, and they really don't know what they're doing.
2: I would say almost exclusively so far. We haven't uh, found any, uh, you know, suspects who are, uh, you know, over the age of eighteen. It's it's a very interesting uh, demographic right now.
1: Or they're not using these complex methods. It could be to to really tweak you up, right? It's it the stuff that they're doing is is easily caught. Yep. Um, And I think that's what they don't realize. Mm you know, sometimes they, they mask their caller ID or you know, whatever, but uh, so you guys were successful on two. That's great. Yep.
2: What happened? Well, in, uh, in the first incident we had, we were getting uh, multiple uh, bomb threats being called in to different entities and uh, different ways, but we were uh, receiving most of them on 10-digit lines, uh, and they all you know, were of a very threatening, high-violence uh, uh, you know, nature of a call. And so, you know, the first red flag there is, is how they're coming into the center. If they're coming in on a 10-digit uh, line, that's that's a concern. Uh, typically, you'd get that type of information over a 911 circuit. So that was the first red flag that we had. Um, the other red flag... It's kind of
1: odd that the, that the fact that it's not an emergency, right. it's because it's coming in on a 10-digit line, you yep. know. It, it's kind of an odd thing, but, but you're absolutely right. You know, you, when you get those kinds of calls and someone's taken the time to dial 11 digits, one plus an area code, and an NXX, and a phone number exactly. to report a major bomb threat. Yep. That right there is, is is the major indicator that something's not right. Yep. And um, I think agencies need to understand that. I agree. You, you don't know? want to do the cry wolf syndrome, though.
2: Exactly. And, and that's, that's the you know, the, I think the biggest threat, uh, you know, or side effect that these things are having on public safety as a whole, uh, you know, when we do get a significant threat call... Uh, we're all kind of taking it with a grain of salt now yeah and that's very dangerous um, it, the other red flag that we had in that particular uh, high school bomb threat uh, case was that the calls uh, initially were going to a small uh, I'll call it a secondary center uh, that was within the county but not actually going to the uh, you know the peace app that covered the high school question right. so again it was you know another red flag I'll call it because it, it almost looked like we were getting the runaround from the from the get-go Um so basically in that scenario uh, we ended up finding out that there was a, a, a like a local uh, high school student that was essentially taking information about his high school uh, and then he was discussing this we think on uh, you know one of the gaming uh, platforms and I'd can't really tell you right now if I remember which it was. I want to say Xbox, but it could be wrong. Anyway, uh, basically sharing that information with some of his gaming buddies uh, in different states, uh, and in some cases even, you know, potentially, you know, these, these folks could be anywhere on the planet. So we really don't know where they're at uh, at the time of the initial incident. Uh, so he was sharing it with somebody over on the, uh, on the East Coast, and we were able to eventually, uh, you know, make that linkage. Uh, Right now, looking into the possibility of anybody else that might have been involved in those. But there was probably more than a dozen of these bomb threats that were called in uh, during about a six-month period uh, from October uh, through March, uh, just a few months ago.
1: So now, if this goes international, that gets Interpol involved.
2: It can. Um, The FBI, we reached out to, uh, you know... Uh, relatively early in the investigation, and they uh, brought to the table a lot of uh, additional law enforcement investigative tools, uh, you know, that were put into play immediately. So, you know, I did an interview just a
1: couple of weeks ago with a reporter in Jersey, because Jersey's been been whacked with 30-something swatting incidents. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, I'm almost hesitant to call them swatting. Um, they're more like... They're more like prank phone calls sure. than a true definition of swatting. Um, and in a way, that's good, Yep. right? Um, but, you know, one of their questions was, does local law enforcement have the tools
2: and the knowledge base they need to combat this? And I think the answer to that varies greatly from one area to the next. Sure. Um, you know, just as... Uh, you know, any local police agency that you might think of, you know, may have some special teams, but not, you know, every special team, uh, you know, needed for every particular incident. Or it's
1: just a guy that's really good with computers. That's
2: exactly it. Right. So, uh, you know, I guess our, our thought on these is that we're changing a little bit on how we initially get involved in these incidents. One, we're looking for those red flags now, we're looking for how it's coming into the center. Uh, We're also, you know, trying to when we go to, you know, do the exigent circumstance request and try to pick up uh, the subscriber information on the number that we are seeing on the caller ID when it comes into the center. uh, We're also trying to get information on, uh, you know, who handed that call off to our local telco that we're trying uh, to get that information from because that can be a huge piece. Uh, so, you know, the first thing we do is we try to, you know, go to the carrier that owns that particular number if we can find it. Uh, and then, but the other part is calling the local telco and see if you can get the uh, the handoff information.
1: At what point does this become interstate when you can show some leg of it was across the state lines? Uh,
2: yes. I mean, you know, I would tell you that at least in the the few incidents that uh, that my agency worked on, it, it seems like... Uh, we brought the federal uh, folks in primarily because of the tools that they have and some of the experience that they have with this inc- you know, this type of incident. Um, what kind of response? I mean, how
1: fast of a response, Matt?
2: They didn't well, fly helicopters. No, that, obviously. no, no, no. And obviously, right? I mean, these things take a long time. They're absolutely, like I said before, I mean, it's a headache to receive one of these. You have a lot of work to do. Um, and that's, you know, that, that's one of the reasons why people... Um, get away with it. It it takes so much effort, so much research, so much work uh, collaboration with other agencies uh, you name it I mean it is it is a big deal to get to a point where you can solve these cases
1: and I think the problem is is that you have no physical damage done in most cases so when you when you start looking at the cost of preventing this mm-hmm. to the cost of, of stopping it right. you know you've got basically wasted police resources yep. which is your hard dollar the other thing you have is we we've got forces tied up and somebody else could potentially be hurt right. but there's no dollar value on that where you right. can't really attach one absolutely and um it it becomes hard to justify i mean you know, public safety is broke already Yep. so to to sit there and bleed them dry with crap like this is just well,
2: that in itself is almost an offense i would think well and then add to that the fact that most of these offenders are juveniles and you know well yeah th- th- so the judicial system is gonna you know tr- potentially treat that differently uh, so will you get the return that you're looking for <laughs> on the- on the amount of work that you put into that and
1: even so even if it was an adult what return are you gonna get on that
2: I, I think th- Really, it is the billboarding of it, right? I mean, the fact that these are very public um, investigations when we're able to solve them. We're really trying to make the message that uh, a 20-year felony is a 20-year felony and you can be charged as an adult.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's. I think that's probably going to be the, the biggest thing. You know, right now, people are using the 10-digit lines mm-hmm. because that's the technology that's easily available, Um So that's a big red flag. You can start taking that for what it is. If they ever, they're afraid to move to the 911 lines because they know there's an incredible increase in trackability on that. Now you're playing with the big boys toys. Yep. And if you do get caught, you're not getting out of it real easy. That's right. So I think they're, they're afraid to do the most damaging stuff.
2: Yeah. And I think the general perception is once you're in the 911, uh, you know, trunks, uh, you know, the 911 public education has, uh, really done a good job in making, you know, it very clear that your location is is trackable that way. So
1: Well, yeah, in you know, if you're one phone call in the PSTN, you're one of a billion circuits right. that are nailed up. You could you break into any but you hack into any local 911 tandem, you're one of a couple of active calls at any one given moment in time. Right. You're standing out with a like a like a with a spotlight mm-hmm. on yourself. So you're opening yourself up to get to have the trunks locked down and that's it. You got a nailed up wire attached to your hip. It's you,
2: what are you gonna do? You know, know, what's interesting, so so there are limitations obviously in law enforcement's ability to, you know, to get to a successful, um, you know, an arrest essentially in these cases. But I will also say that there's enough digital uh, tracking information out there where it is absolutely possible. Uh, So the second scenario that we had, We just had an arrest uh, in northern England uh, where they basically found that there was a, I think it was a 16 year old that was out there and he was essentially calling airports in the United States uh, in with, you know, hijack threats and this type of thing. Uh, there were four separate incidents. Uh, I think my agency was involved in one of those, uh, but on two of those incidents, uh, fighter jets were actually scrambled wow. uh, to accompany the aircraft back down to the ground. I mean so when you talk about restitution, you talk about some of the things that are going into this. I mean imagine how much it, it's going to cost i couldn't even imagine <laughs> to I mean pay you, for fighter jets to
1: <laughs> yeah you, you scrambled two ground units to right. something and you spent a, <laughs> the ten grand right you put a couple of fighter jets there, you're spending yeah. ten grand a second that's right just on fuel right. Yeah. Oh man, that's see, that's that's absolutely crazy, and and again, the other the other bad part of this is, now every it's the cry wolf syndrome. Mm-hmm. You're doing all this stuff, you're wasting money. It, the, the day it becomes a real threat, it almost doesn't get the attention that it needs. That's right. You know, so pretty bad. But okay, so I catch a 16 year old kid. Yeah, great. You just blew a million and a half in financial resources. Mm-hmm. What are you gonna do to that kid?
2: Exactly. And that's the, you know, that's the judicial limitation. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that from the public safety perspective, uh, you know, we are hopeful that the courts will understand that phenomenon and that they will consider that uh, as they go through, you know, their adjudication and, and make sure that to the extent possible, uh, you know, these kids are being, yes, they are kids, uh, but at the same time, a message needs to be very clearly sent.
1: Well, yeah, and you know the thing is, is is when they're um, when they're doing this, you know, they need to understand that um, you know what they're doing is 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 costing potentially a ton of money, Absolutely. and this could ruin their life over a super little stupid little hack, stupid little game, stupid little trick. I don't think they understand because they're adolescents, mm-hmm.
2: you know, what they're doing. Thankfully. Uh you know the SWAT teams the tech teams that are you know exist in this country are are careful in their operation and, uh, to my knowledge uh, at least locally we haven't had any incidents uh, you know where there's been a death or injury as a result of one of these swatting incidents but uh, I think you know if the perpetrator were to understand that the elevated risk in those situations could cost a life I'm hoping uh, that that you know that that would be a deterrent as well but Uh, You're right. I mean, there's so many of these things that are happening, and uh, public safety is good at what they do, uh, and they limit, you know, the risk to the public. Uh, And so far, there hasn't been a tragedy that I'm aware of, like I said, related to one of these things. Um, So I I think that that's just kind of a contributing factor to why it's so prevalent.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that, uh, again, with the adolescents, probably our biggest possibility of of nailing this are kids are going to tell.
2: Yep. Exactly.
1: Uh, you know, and in, I think psychologically, if you attack on that side, mm-hmm. and, and I'm sure the FBI has got this all figured out already, yep. uh, I can't be the only guy smart enough to figure that out. Yep. But the, uh, you know, if you attack it psychologically, you could turn that whole team on itself mm-hmm. and almost eliminate the problem potentially.
2: Yeah, it's hard to say. It's hard to say how quickly and how available the information on how to perpetrate these things, you know, what the access to that information is and where they're getting it from. Uh, Obviously, there are a lot of things that, you know, we need to take a closer look at. um, need to regulate in different places than what we're currently doing uh, to make these things, you know, more difficult or eliminate them altogether. So what do you think with uh,
1: voice over IP and uh, next gen? Is it going to be more difficult or...?
2: Well, certainly we're seeing an increase, right? I mean, this is the—you know—it's a portable type of technology. Once you're into the network, you really can be anywhere within the network. There's a lot of good that goes along with that—self-healing networks, uh, you know, the ability to uh, to access from anywhere. But with that access, you know, there's certainly a downside, and I think we're seeing that now.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, if if I was going to SWAT somebody, I could SWAT somebody anywhere in the country and i could be anywhere in the world exactly and you wouldn't know it's me and i could do that in a heartbeat not a lot of people understand all that technology fortunately Mm -hmm. um but there is a there is a level of if you half understand that technology you've also made yourself very identifiable
2: that's exactly right and i think that's that's really the message you know i some of these cases that I'm talking about are still pending, so we can't get into a lot of details, but there's just enough you know, personally identifiable information uh, in the electronic breadcrumb trail. Uh, really, you know, within law enforcement, we're getting a lot better at identifying those pieces, putting the puzzle together. Uh, you know, I'm hopeful that we're on the right road with that.
1: What do you think about budgets? to cover this i mean obviously you know there's tools there's extra personnel there's extra stuff this has got to have an impact
2: on budgets it sure does and you know so some agencies may have the personnel for it but when they look at that cost benefit analysis i'm sure that uh that is something that is you know paramount in their decision uh, it, nobody has money to you know address every single one of these uh complaints on the way that they should and be. you don't have lives
1: being affected right now exactly you know that's that's the scary part um, that we have to wait until something because when it go, you know, when this goes bad, that's going to be a really really bad day. Yep. Absolutely. When this finally goes, takes a left turn. Uh, I can I can only imagine what's going to happen, mm-hmm. and it's going to be a really sad day. And then people will probably wake up and go, Oh my God, we got to fix this. And right. They'll throw a ton of money at it, but um,
2: I, I will say, you know, the Feds are doing a, a pretty decent job about you know trying to attack this from different angles. Um, You know, either through the IC3, the Internet uh, Crime Complaint Center, you know, there's there's a lot of tools that the feds are getting more and more uh, capable uh, with. That was a huge part of, uh, you know, successfully. you know, solving these, these issues that we were having. No,
1: I've got a neighbor that's FBI down in Quantico, and mm-hmm. he's doing a lot of this counterintelligence stuff, and he can't tell me what he's working on, but the stuff he asks me about freaks me out completely. Yeah. It's it's amazing the level that they're going into. So I think what you're going to see in the next year or so is you're going to see a, a major recoil from the federal level and this is going to all come to a very quick end for a lot of people. The thing that's going to be interesting is, is how international it's going to go at that point. Because yep. that brings a whole other dynamic there right. with Interpol.
2: Yeah, you think it's difficult collaborating with your neighbor agency. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, try calling them up on the phone when they're across the pond. Yeah,
1: no, because I do a lot of work over in Europe on the European Emergency Number yep. Association. And it's, you know, just on legislative stuff, it's hard enough to collaborate. Right. Those guys are here, by the way. Yeah. Um, cool. So. I the, uh, yeah, interesting stuff. Matt, I appreciate you talking. Not often people sit down and talk about this. we got to be careful when we do. Yep. Um, you know, there's a certain level of responsibility not to give the keys to the castle out, but I think it's important that we start educating public safety to look for those telltale signs. Agreed. You know? Um, yeah, somebody coming in through a TTY relay service on a 10-digit line, you know, reporting a mass murder on their family. Nah, you know what? That just, just screams of... Yeah, we'll probably some, figure that one out. Yeah, we're going <laughs> to figure that one out. But uh, oh, what are you going to do? Thanks for stopping by, sitting down, talking to us. Thanks for having me. appreciate
0: it. The preceding podcast has been brought to you by the Avaya Podcast Network. Executive producer, Jean Torjean, a.k.a. JT. Our program and creative director is Fletch. And the APN legal correspondent is attorney Martha Byer. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at avaya underscore APN. And visit avaya.com slash APN on the web, where you can download all of our content. For the Avaya Podcast Network, this is Spider Harrison, the official voice dude of APN. The preceding content is copyrighted by the Avaya Podcast Network. Broadcast or retransmission is permitted with attribution. Your actual mileage may vary. Batteries are not included. I'm a professional announcer on a closed course. Do not try this at home.